0: In the book, uh, Sleeping with Bread, Holding What Gives You Life, the authors write about the terrible experiences of some of the children that survived World War II, the traumatic experience that they went through. And as they were in a refugee camp, they weren't able to sleep properly. And as they were trying to help these children, because of what they had gone through, someone had the idea to be able to give them a loaf of bread to sleep with. And so they did that. They gave them a loaf of bread to sleep with, and they were able to sleep through the night. That piece of bread brought comfort to them, brought hope to them, because they knew that they had something to eat that day, and they also had something to eat the next day as well. Bread is often, often a comfort food. You might have uh, foods that you like that are a comfort food. Maybe you like fresh bread. Can you smell the fresh bread in the sanctuary? Thanks to Barb Donor for all the fresh bread. Uh, but uh, as our topic today is about the bread of the presence, it was f- bread that was in the tabernacle. And maybe you might have some, some food, bread, or any other types of food that gives you some type of comfort. I know for me... Uh, if I wanted to eat something for breakfast that gives me comfort, it's actually connected to my dad, who passed away more than 20 years ago, but it would be bread, butter, and jam all together. So a piece of bread, you butter it nicely, and you put some strawberry jam on it, ah, oh, that's, that's one of my comfort foods that I enjoy. The other day, Laura and I went out for a date lunch. Date lunches work better for us than date nights at this present season. Uh, we were out for a date lunch, and I can't remember what I ordered, but. As we sat at the table, they had like these strawberry packets on the side of the table. And I started opening them up and putting it on my food. And Laura was like, I've never seen that before. (laughs) But it had something to do with that strawberry jam that has a special connection to me. And maybe for you, you might have something that has a special connection to you. A comfort type of food that brings you some type of hope or some type of comfort or has a special memory that's connected together with that. And it reminds you of other things, and that's sort of what food does for us. In the mornings when I uh, take Joel downstairs for for breakfast, he'll always see the pot of the kettle and he'll say, Daddy, coffee. (laughs) And it doesn't matter, you know, he doesn't know the difference between coffee and tea, even though I've tried to explain that, it's just Daddy, coffee. And I think that's gonna be etched in his mind and he's gonna remember that. And oftentimes for us as well, we have memories maybe from our childhood, maybe from other times in our life where some type of food or some type of experience really brings us comfort and hope. And today as we look at the bread of the presence, we're reminded of the power of food, the power of bread, the power of the word of God to really work in our lives and change us. As we've been looking at this, this whole series in, uh, in the tabernacle, we're reminded again of the, the main emphasis of why God told them to make this tabernacle was co- totally and completely because of this one desire that God wanted to dwell among them. God wants to dwell among us. And we saw these verses in Exodus, how he desires to have this relationship with us, to dwell amongst his people, to meet us where we're at so that we can know and experience his presence and his fullness. And so much more in this New Testament time because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, which we're gonna celebrate in a few weeks during Easter. But if we look at the the major things that we've been studying so far let me go back over here the first thing that we that we talked about is this brazen uh, altar or this uh, this altar of burnt offering that speaks about the the death of Jesus the atonement that Jesus made for us and then we come here to the the, the laver or the wash basin, and it talks about uh, a, uh, a step of cleansing, positional sanctification, and also progressive sanctification. It talks about baptism. Again, if you have never taken baptism, we'd love for you to take baptism on April 21st. Our classes are coming up to help uh, prepare different ones towards that step. And then last week, we looked at the, the candlestick and how Jesus is the light of the world and how we as the church are also called to shine as the light of the Lord. And today we're looking at what's called the bread of the presence, also called the table of showbread. Uh, there's various names that was used or translated names towards that, and it was basically uh, two different piles of six unleavened pieces of bread. And they depicted the 12, depicts the children of Israel, the 12 tribes of the children of Israel and God's provision for Israel during those times. And then, of course, we're going to look at the altar of incense next week and finally conclude our series uh, before Palm Sunday about the Ark of the Covenant. But when we look at, look at all these different things, again, they, it reminds us that Jesus is the one and only tabernacle, the true tabernacle. These are all pictures, and they all point towards Jesus. We saw how the, the altar pointed towards Jesus, the laver pointed towards the work of Jesus, the candlestick points towards Jesus, the bread also points towards Jesus as the word of God. Uh, we're going to look at that today. But it also talks about our spiritual journey, our spiritual journey as we go from, from death all the way to life how God helps us towards that in John 1 in verse 14 it talks about the word became flesh Jesus came down here he became flesh the living word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us or he tabernacled with us And all towards, all of this is a picture of our spiritual journey leading us all towards this final culmination that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, how we now become the temple and tabernacle of the living God. The spirit of God now dwells in us and we are his temple. We are his tabernacle. We are his body. We are baptized into the body of Christ as the temple of God through the spirit of God. Now, just as we saw last week how in the outer court and in the holy place and in the most holy place, there there's three different types of light. There's also three different types of bread in the tabernacle. There is the bread that was in the outer court, which was the manna, which God sent to feed and provide for the children of Israel. Every day except the Sabbath day, they would get up and they would see manna all over the camp and they had to go out and collect that manna. And so even in the outer court, they would be able to find that manna because it was open. There was no covering that was there. In the holy place is the bread of the presence, which we're going to talk about. And in the most holy place, in the Ark of the Covenant, when we get there, we'll talk a little bit more about it. But there are three things in the Ark of the Covenant. And one of those things is what's known as the golden pot of manna or the hidden manna. And God gave instructions to Moses and told Moses, take some of the manna that you're collecting and put it in this pot and put it in the Ark of the Covenant as a memorial towards my work and my provision for you that for all time, people will remember how I fed you in the wilderness, how I provided for you, how I was faithful towards you. And that's that hidden manna. And friends, in our spiritual journey as well, there is a growth in the word of God. There's a growth in the knowledge of the word of God as as bread points to the word of God, which we'll look at in a moment. There's also a growth in our understanding of God's word. And, and my question for, for us today, where are we in our understanding of God's word? Are we in the outer court and just eating of that manna, which is for everyone? It's the general revelation of God's word. It's what God gives and teaches to everyone. Or are we, are we in the holy place here where it's the bread of the presence, where there's a little bit more understanding because the light of the candlestick or the light of the church is shining on that bread. It's the understanding as we're in a community of faith, as we come and we hear the preaching of the word of God, the teaching of the word of God, as we study the Bible, as we study the word of God, we are growing in our understanding and knowledge of the word of God in the holy place. And finally, where God wants us to go to is into the most holy place, and into that hidden manna, into that golden pot where there is such truth and treasure in God's word that we can delight and know. He says it like this in the, in the book of Revelation to the church of Pergamos, to those that overcome. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious, the one that is living that overcoming life. I will give some of what? The hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone and a new name written on it known only to the one who receives it. There's this blessing for the overcomer, the one that is walking with Jesus, the one that is living an overcoming life, the the one that has been been, uh, atoned for at the altar, the one that's been sanctified and cleansed at at the wash basin, the one that is growing further as the light of the glory of God is shining in their hearts and revealing more and more sin and iniquity and offering opportunities for repentance. And as we're eating more and more of God's word, and as we're spending more and more time in prayer, as we'll get to the altar of incense, and then coming into that most holy place, and there is the hidden manna. The depth of the revelation of God's word, the beauty of God's word, that we see and experience and know as we spend more and more time in the presence of God. The depth and beauty of God's word that we see. How many of us you've experienced this maybe in your Bible reading and you're reading through the Bible and you read something and it's something new and fresh that maybe you've never experienced before. How wonderful it is when the spirit of God speaks to us the hidden riches that are found in the word of God. It's something so beautiful and awesome and amazing. God's word is rich that way. It's new and fresh that way. Just like the hidden manna, it didn't didn't grow moldy or it didn't grow stale or it didn't breed worms, but it was preserved there in that golden pot. It's the richness and freshness and beauty in God's word. I want to encourage you, as many of you I know are doing, I was so encouraged to hear so many testimonies of different ones that have started reading the Bible at the beginning of this year as we uh, encourage ones to read through the whole, whole Bible this year. And it's wonderful to hear the stories of people actually reading through God's word and studying and learning and wanting to experience that hidden manna. But as we talk about the, the bread of the presence today and what's in there in the holy place, I want to share with you a few, a few things about this uh, bread of the presence. The first thing, let me go to the next slide here. It in, um, the bread of the presence reveals Jesus as the bread of life. The bread of the presence reveals Jesus as the bread of life. Jesus, as we read the scriptures here, as Robert read for us in, in uh, John chapter 6, Jesus said that I am the living bread that came down from heaven. He is the true bread. See, Israel, were fe- they were fed with manna for 40 years in the wilderness. And Jesus came and he said, yes, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, but I am actually the living bread that came down from heaven. In John 6 and verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from, any- from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever and this bread which i will offer so the world may live is my flesh can you see here in this verse i want us to remember the big picture of what we're talking about as we go in the tabernacle from death to what life can you see here anyone that eats this bread what are they going to experience life right which i will offer so the world may live This is the whole purpose of why Jesus came is to give us life and life more abundantly. The enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. The enemy is coming to rob us from the blessing of God, but Jesus has come to give us life. That's why Jesus is the bread of life. He is the bread of life that gives life and life in all of its fullness, life in all of its abundance. Look at these verses in John 6, numerous times here. In John 6, he says, the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Yes, I am The bread of life over and over again jesus is emphasizing this aspect of his work in our life is to come and give us life and life in all its abundance sadly we we go through we go through uh, our own life and our own journey and not experiencing the fullness and the riches of the goodness of god because we don't experience the fullness and riches of jesus He even instructs us to pray for this on a daily basis. He says, as part of the Lord's prayer, give us this day our daily bread. That daily bread can speak physically of God's provision for us on a a daily basis, but it can also speak to us about asking for more of Jesus every single day. It can speak to us of desiring and wanting more of the life of God in us. Give us this day our daily bread. It's found there in Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, how we can experience and know Jesus as our daily bread. Jesus is also the word of God. As I talked about the manna in the outer court, the bread of the presence in the holy place, the hidden manna in that golden pot, it all represents that, that bread, all represents the word of God because Jesus is the word of God. In John chapter 1, we read about how Jesus says that in the beginning, or the Word of God says, in the beginning was the Word, speaking about Jesus, the beginning, the Word already existed, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. Can you see this theme again about life? As the Word of God came, as the Word of God spoke in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, it brought life to the world. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. Friends, as we look at the bigger picture of the tabernacle, it's our spiritual journey that God wants to take us from death all the way over to life. God wants us to experience the abundant life that is found in Jesus. And so Jesus is the word of God, but look at what it says in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus told them, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is how we live. As bread sustains us and feeds us physically and gives us nourishment, and bread was probably the staple food at that time. Uh, in, In the first century, bread was something that was commonly made and it was part of their diet to eat bread. As bread nourishes us, sustains us, and helps us to live, likewise, the word of God is what sustains us in our spiritual life, in our being. We eat bread physically. We eat the word of God spiritually. There's so much to partake of in God's word. The bread of the presence also uh, represents or is symbolized, symbolized God's provision for Israel. As they had these 12 uh, loaves that was there on, in the holy place, it was a reminder to Israel that God would take care of them. It was a reminder to Israel that for 40 years, God was providing for them. During that time when they're in the wilderness, it was a reminder God would continue to provide. After their journey in the wilderness, this bread of the presence continued to remind them God was faithful to us for 40 years. It's amazing that God provided for so long for them. In Exodus 16, it says, so the people of Israel ate manna for 40 years until they arrived at the land where they would settle. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. That's an amazing provision that God provided them food to eat for 40 years. Probably over a million people, 40 years. Where's Barb? Barb. Imagine, imagine organizing meals, you know, for that number of people for 40 years, right? God provided for them supernaturally. And so the bread of the presence was a reminder to them of God's provision. It, it reminded them of God's faithfulness, even in their unfaithfulness. So many times if you read through and if you're reading through the word of God and you're probably in, you know, Num- Leviticus numbers or Deuteronomy somewhere around there. Uh, if you started from the beginning and in that you see over and over and over again, the children of Israel complaining, murmuring, complaining, murmuring. Sound familiar? Does that sound sometimes maybe like our lives? Complaining, yeah. Complaining, murmuring, complaining, murmuring, right? And so this was, this was the journey of the children of Israel. And even in their unfaithfulness, right? Did God say, you're complaining too much today, no manna for you today, did God do that? No, he didn't. Did God pull away the manna because, they st- because the children of Israel rebelled against him? Because the children of Israel grieved their heart? No, it was a reminder to them that even in their unfaithfulness, God was still faithful. Friends, be reminded today that even in our failure, even in the times when we don't live up to the standard that God is calling us to live, it does not change who God is. He is still faithful. In Deuteronomy 8 from verses 2 to 4, it talks about this, how God was faithful to them. And God took this time uh, in the wilderness to to prove them, to challenge them. It says, remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. It It was a trial for 40 years. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go through hunger and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. He did it to do what? To teach you that you do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. For all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell that's another miracle in itself anyone have any clothes that you've been wearing day after day and still good 40 years in right probably not but that was another miracle in and of itself but it showed God's faithfulness to his people so that he would teach them that they don't live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord friends we don't live by physical bread alone but by the word of the Lord that comes and nourishes our soul and our spirit. The bread of the presence was also a reminder uh, to the children of Israel. It depicted to the children of Israel God's eternal covenant with them. It revealed God's eternal covenant. Look at this verse. It's very interesting. In Leviticus chapter 24, it says every Sabbath day, so every Sabbath day they had to change it. So on the Sabbath day, they would come, they would put new bread and it would sit there for a whole week. And then the next Sabbath, the priest would come and eat it and they would put freshly baked bread um, in there. It said every Sabbath day, this bread must be laid out before the Lord as a gift from the Israelites. The Israelites would give this as a gift to the Lord. It is an ongoing expression Of the eternal covenant. This bread of the presence represents God's eternal covenant with the children of Israel. Unfortunately, that covenant didn't last, even though it's eternal. Unfortunately, that covenant was broken by the children of Israel. There there was a flaw in the covenant, and that's why God had to come back and make a new covenant with us. See, this covenant was a covenant of rest because it happened on the Sabbath. The Sabbath day was when they had to uh, put new bread. It was a reminder that on on the Sabbath day when the bread was changed, it was a reminder that this was a covenant of rest, that he wanted the children of Israel to experience the supernatural rest that God gives. It's a good reminder for us as we live such busy lives and we tend to work, 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 and then we don't take a Sabbath, we don't take a break, we don't take a time to reflect on God's goodness, we don't take time alone with the Lord. It's so important that we, uh, we institute a rhythm of Sabbath in our lives. Uh, I'm guilty of this, but I know that it's so important for us to make sure that we Sabbath on a regular basis. God told Moses this when, when, when Moses, again, realizing that he was completely and utterly dependent on God's presence... When God told him make a sanctuary that I might dwell with my people, Moses says, "Yes, this is what we need. We need your presence with us." And then there came a time when the children of Israel kept rebelling, 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 and Moses was leading the children of Israel. And so the Lord told Moses, "Told the Lord, Lord, don't take me where your presence isn't. Don't lead us where your presence is not." The Lord told him, I will personally go with you, Moses. My presence will be with you. Emmanuel will be with you, Moses. Don't worry, Moses. I am with you and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. This aspect of the covenant, this eternal covenant, it's a covenant of rest. But it's also a covenant of knowing God. It's a covenant of knowing God and experiencing God. Here's the difference between that old covenant and the new covenant. Here's the difference between what happened in the uh, the Old Testament covenant and the New Testament covenant. When God put this bread of the presence out, this bread of the presence was put out as a remembrance of the covenant, there was one fatal flaw. The one fatal flaw was this, that it was dependent on the children of Israel. That they had to do this, and they had to do that, and they had to do this other thing. And if they did this, and if they did that, then that would, it would work out. And unfortunately, as is the trait of humanity, if we are given something to do, we will fail that. If you read in, in the book of Deuteronomy, the last few chapters in Deuteronomy, Moses uh, telling the, the new generation of the children of Israel. It had been 40 years now. The old generation had died out. Now these were all new people of, of, uh, of the children of Israel. And he re- retells the whole law and the covenant to these, uh, this new generation of the children of Israel. And as he tells this new generation of Israel about the covenant and about the promises of God in Deuteronomy 28 and 29 and and 30, uh, if you're in that section in your Bible reading, it talks all about that. And he gives them two options. He actually tells them to stand on one mountain. One mountain is gonna be the mountain of cursing and the other mountain is gonna be the mountain of blessing. And if you read in those chapters, there's a small section that says, if you do these things and I will bless you. And if you do these things you're going to get a curse, right? It was all dependent on them. And then Moses challenges them at the end and says, today I put before you death and life you choose. Today I put before you death and life you choose. What do you want? That would be the obvious answer, right, Adam? But sadly, even though they said we want life, they chose death and the curse came upon them because they didn't stay faithful to the word of God. They didn't stay faithful to the covenant of the Lord. Look here in in Jeremiah chapter thirty-one. In these verses here, it talks about the 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 old covenant and the new covenant. Says, "The day is coming," says the Lord, "when I will make a new covenant with my with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. So it's not going to be like that old covenant, right? The the covenant that this bread represented. It's not going to be like that. They broke that covenant." Do I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after those days. Look at the difference now between what the new covenant says and what the old covenant says. The old covenant was, Israel, you have to do this and this and this. And if you do this and this and this, I will bless you and you will have life. But if you do this and this and this, you're going to get the curse and you will have Again, there's this contrast between death and life all the time, repeating over and over and over again. Death and life, death and life, right? Goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve chose death when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then were forbidden forever to eat of the tree of life and experience the life of God again. They were forbidden because they chose death over life, And that's why Jesus comes to restore what the first Adam lost in bringing us life and life in all of its abundance. But look at what the new covenant says. This is the new covenant. Okay. I'm going to emphasize a couple of words. See if you can pick up what the word I'm going to emphasize. Okay. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people and they will not need to teach their neighbors nor will they need to teach their relatives saying you should know the lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me says the lord and i will forgive their wickedness and i will never again remember their sins can you see the difference the old covenant that led to death It was all on the children of Israel. Do this, do this, do this, and you will have life. But if you do this, do this, do this, you will have curse, which leads to death. Well, guess what? Unfortunately, they chose that pathway that led to death. But in the new covenant, when Jesus comes, this is the awesome story of the gospel. This is the awesome story that Jesus is writing from the very beginning till the very end is that he came to give us life and life in all of its abundance. And so he makes this new covenant with us. And in the new covenant, he says, look, when I put the the responsibility on you, you messed up. So you know what I'm gonna do in the new covenant? I'm gonna take the responsibility. I will write my laws upon your heart. I will put them in your mind. I will be your God. I will forgive your sins. I will do this for you. This is the beauty of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. Sealed by his blood. We are redeemed because of what Jesus did for us, not because of anything we can do for ourselves. Can you see the difference? Can you see the contrast? Can you see the beauty of coming to Jesus to experience life in the new covenant. The table as well illustrates our need for fellowship, community, and hospitality. This table here, the bread of the presence, it sat on a table. And this table is a beautiful picture of this deep desire that Jesus has for us that we would experience fellowship, community, and hospitality. See, much of Jesus's ministry was around the table. So many of the things that, you know, they called Jesus, they said the Pharisees made fun of Jesus because he was always eating and drinking, right? Can you imagine how his ministry actually looked like? He was either inviting people to his table or he was going to other people's houses to their table. And even when he was at their house as a table, he was the guest of honor. He was the host. Much of Jesus's ministry was done around the table Because it speaks to us of the invitation of the Lord. Look here at a couple of verses. In Luke chapter 5, later Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with him. Here just as Jesus eating with sinners, eating with tax collectors, eating with those that are cast out those people that are the outsiders. If you just look up the word table in the New Testament, you'll find over and over again, Jesus reclining at the table, Jesus eating at the table, Jesus invited to the table, Jesus inviting people to the table. All of it is happening around the table. And it's not just for the sinners, even the Pharisees. He went went to them as well. On one Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees and the people were watching him closely. See, it all happened around the table. One of Jesus' greatest miracles that's actually found in every single gospel is the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus wanted to show and tell people, look, I am the bread of life. I am your provision. I am the one that can supply for you. I am your daily bread. It was one of the greatest miracles that Jesus did to feed 5,000. It's probably not 5,000 people. It says 5,000 men. There's probably over 20,000 or even 30,000 people that Jesus fed with just two loaves. See, a lot of what Jesus did in his ministry was around the table. And that's what he calls us to as well, around the table. To minister to others, to welcome others, to fellowship with others. This, this bread of the presence, the table of showbread, talks about this fellowship and community that God wants us to be in. The early disciples, they broke bread from house to house. They went from one place to the next place and enjoyed fellowship. Look at what it says here in Acts 2. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can you see the connection here? They went from house to house. And they ate and they fellowshiped together. There was community. There was hospitality. There was ministry around the table. And What happened? People were getting saved. Yesterday, we had our master's pantry, and there were three new families, and we were able to feed 169 people through that. And Nancy was sharing with me, there's just greater and greater need that's, that's in these days. Pre-pandemic, we used to give a whole breakfast to the people. And then, of course, when the pandemic happened, we had to stop that. But now little by little we, we've changed things and now they're able to come inside and there's a room that they can come and fellowship in and have some coffee and tea and some you know, baked items and, and have an opportunity to talk. Can I ask you, would you be able to, to, to help with that? Would you be able to come one Saturday in the month and be there in that room at the table as people come and have a, a, a cup of coffee, have a cup of tea to be a listening ear? To pray with those that are in need. To minister to those people at the table of the Lord. The opportunity to fellowship, to show hospitality. This is what Jesus' ministry was about. We have that amazing opportunity, even through our Master's Pantry program, to reach out to those that are in need and show them the love of Christ. Not only does Jesus, Jesus set a table for us Maybe around our family, maybe around our church, and maybe around people that love us. But do you know as well that God sets a table? He prepares a table before us, even before our enemies. Oh, you might not want to hear this one, right? Should I just stop the message here? God sets a table before us, even before our enemies. Psalm 23, a very familiar psalm to many. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It speaks of the reconciliation that God desires for us to have with one another. Is there someone that you're offended with? Is there someone that that has hurt you? The table is a powerful place that brings people back together in unity. Eating together over a meal is a powerful experience that brings us together as one. There's an allegory by a Jewish rabbi or attributed to a Jewish rabbi about heaven and hell about a dream that, that someone had and, and they went down to, to hell and everyone was at a, at a table seated all around the table and there was food that was there and they were all given spoons that were six feet in length. And all the people in hell were taking their spoons and trying to feed themselves, but because the spoon was so, so long, they couldn't feed themselves. And they were going hungry. And then he went to heaven and there was a table that was there in heaven and all the people were seated around And they also all had six foot spoons. But do you know what they were doing with their spoons? They were feeding one another. They were feeding one another. And so they didn't go hungry because they were able, they didn't feed themselves, they fed one another. Can you see the contrast? Can you see the difference? Selfishness versus selflessness. We come to the table of the Lord, it's a table of reconciliation a table of restoration, a table of oneness and wholeness to the Lord. The bread continually on the table, as it was always there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, shows God's open invitation to abide with him. The the bread was always there. The table was always set. There is an invitation from the Lord to come. There's an invitation to abide in John chapter 14 it says Jesus replied all who love me will do what I say my father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them That's a beautiful imagery when it says we will come and make our home with them In a home there's a table In a home there's there's fresh fruit food that's cooked In a home there's a sense of security In a home there's a place of fellowship and unity And oneness. We will come and make our home with them. The the bread was always there. It reflected how we can experience the invitation to always come. Jesus told a, a, a parable, often called the parable of the prodigal son. And in this parable, it talks about the son that wanted his inheritance from his father. And the father gave him his inheritance, but he left his home, took his money, and he wasted it all with all sorts of terrible living. And finally, he got to the lowest place in his life where he was in in, in a pig pen, and he couldn't even eat the food that the pigs had, but he desired and wanted to eat that food. And then he remembered, it came back to his mind, that even the servants in his father's home have enough food to eat. And he thought, let me go back to my father's home and I know I've, I've, I've messed up. I know that I've sinned. I know that I've taken my inheritance and squandered it. But at least if I can go back to my father's home and at least be one of his servants, I'll have enough food to eat. And so he went back to his father's house. And as he was going back to his father's house, his father was waiting for him. With open arms, the father was waiting for him. And as the, the word of God says, as the father saw his son in a, a distance away, far away, he ran to him and he embraced him. And he said, this my son was lost, but now he is found. This my son was far away, but now he is close again. And do you know what the father did? He said, kill the fatted calf, kill the best animal. Let's lay a table. Let's celebrate together at the table. Let's feast and eat together because my son who had gone away has now returned. Friends, wherever you are in your journey, wherever you might be today in whatever trial or difficulty or hardship, whatever you might be facing today, please know that the invitation to come to the table of the Lord, the invitation to come to Jesus is always there and he is waiting with arms open wide. Just as much as he stretched out his arms on the cross of Calvary to die for you and for me, he is waiting with outstretched arms for you and for me to a wonderful embrace And a wonderful feast at the table. We don't have time to talk about it. Jesus said so many times in the New Testament, they'll come and feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There'll be a wonderful banquet, the marriage supper of the lamb he talks about. A wonderful feast that's there all pointing towards this beautiful experience in eternity that we get a little taste of now at the table of the Lord. And today we're going to remember what Jesus has done by coming to the table of the Lord. Because the bread of the presence foreshadows the communion table in the New Testament. This this bread of the presence, this table here, it foreshadows what Jesus actually did with his disciples the night that he was betrayed. Where he took bread and he, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And, and he had a cup of wine, and he gave it to the disciples to drink, and he said, drink all of it. This cup is the New Testament or the new covenant, the new covenant that's going to lead to life. Drink all of it in remembrance of me. This was the new covenant that Jesus was making with his blood. In the Old Testament, there was a drink offering of wine as well that went, uh, went along with the offerings in the tabernacle. It was a drink offering poured out to the Lord and you could see the bread and you can see the wine beautifully depicted in this Old Testament tabernacle that points forward to what Jesus has done for us. In Luke chapter 22, it says this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. He broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. The new covenant, remember, the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Because God is doing the work in the new covenant, he is giving the promises in the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Not by our blood. We didn't have to give our blood to seal it, we didn't have to do anything, we didn't have to do any work to get it Jesus did it all for us which is poured out as a sacrifice for you just as the wine was poured out as a drink offering in the Old Testament tabernacle Jesus' blood was poured out as an offering for you and for me on Monday Thursday we're going to be led through a, a Passover Seder by a Jewish rabbi Rabbi Jeff a Messianic rabbi And one part of that Seder, if you haven't signed up for it, I want to encourage you to do so. We have limited spots. I think it'll all fill up soon. We're almost halfway full. But one part of that Seder meal is they take three pieces of matzah and they wrap it together. And then they open it at one part in the Seder meal. Do you know what they do? They take not the first one and not the third one, but they take the second one. And they break it. And then they wrap it in a white cloth. Similar to how Jesus' body was broken for us and wrapped in linen garments when he was buried. The Seder meal has so many beautiful types and shadows that point forward to what Jesus did for us. And that's just one example. So as we come to the table of the Lord today, if you're broken, if you're hurting, come to the table. This table of the Lord is for those that have, have, have dedicated their lives to be followers of Jesus. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we have everything together. But it means we've decided to follow Jesus. Colin and Jim are going to play and sing a song for us, Come to the Table. And as Colin sings this, just reflect on your life with Jesus as you prepare your heart to partake of the bread and of the cup this morning. And remember all that Jesus has done for you in the new covenant. He
1: all start. Outside, the outside looking in, this is where grace begins. We were hungry, we were thirsty, with nothing left to give, oh the shape that we These liars and these thieves There's no one unwelcome here That sin and shame
0: Our beloved Alex Philip once wrote an article about the tabernacle. Alex, who's now in the presence of Jesus and rejoicing with him. And he noted that in the tabernacle, there were no chairs. There's no chair by this table. Represented how the work of the priests was continual. He couldn't rest, he couldn't stop, yet to keep going. But when Jesus died on Calvary, and rose again, he went to the right hand of the Father, and it says he he sat down on the throne of God on the right hand of the Father because the work was finished. The work was accomplished. The work came to an end. As we remember what Jesus did for us, Those three matzahs, as I said, in the Seder meal, the second one, the first one representing the Father, the second representing the Son, the third representing the Holy Spirit, it was just the second one that was pulled out and broken
1: for you and for me.